Mountain Hill Radio contains graphic language and scenes some listeners may find troubling. Listener discretion is advised. Everything you are about to hear is absolutely fictional. The town of Mountain Hill is just that. A town. The people of Mountain Hill are just people, and never has there been a true case of a monster stealing a human's skin. The forests do not contain fairy creatures from another world, the streets are not terrorized by monsters who only come out at night, and the water is perfectly safe to swim in. We are safe here. We promise. This is Mountain Hill Radio. stands at the edge of the woods, staring at the semi-worn path as rain pours all around her. The only sounds in the vicinity are that of a storm that has broken, a storm that is threatening to wreck everything. It's been three days since that fight on the beach. Three days since they discovered the beast did not curse Lyra like he did Rufus. Colin's magic managed to heal her and dig the beast's magic out of her. He'd done some nearly lasting damage, and though Lyra felt mostly back to normal, she knew it was likely she'd always have a slight limp and that her shoulder would always hurt just a little in the rain. It ached now, a constant reminder of how close she'd been to losing that fight. No, she hadn't just been close to losing. She'd lost, fair and square. It's only thanks to Dorothy's quick thinking that she is standing here, about to do yet another reckless, probably stupid thing. She takes a deep breath before glancing over her shoulder at the buildings behind her. No one knows what she's doing. They already finished up their patrols hours ago, with absolutely no word on the beast or that strange woman. No Merc or any other creatures, either. Lyra's stomach has been an incessant knot the last few days. The silence is threatening to destroy her from the inside out. She doesn't know what she's going to do, how she's even going to protect her friends. The weight upon her shoulders has never felt so heavy. With a sigh, she turns back to the woods and begins her slow trek forward. The idea for this popped into her head the night before. She has a feeling the ethereal glowing being showed her that clearing the other night for a reason. Maybe it's a tangent. Maybe finding the clearing will provide absolutely no answers on how to deal with their current situation. But the thought has persisted and is nagging in her mind. She found, when she was getting ready for bed tonight after patrolling, that she was restless. There was a strange tugging sensation, that same feeling she had when she was in Melody's shop, telling her she needed to get up and go find whatever it was trying to lead her towards. Whatever the reason, she's here now. 
putting herself into yet another unknown, possibly dangerous situation, all for the sake of following her gut. Fortunately, so far, her gut hasn't led her astray. There's a first time for everything, she mutters under her breath. She's carrying her backpack. At least she had that much foresight. Though it won't do much if she gets poisoned or fights something with magic, she feels a little better knowing she has a first aid kit at her disposal. There's also a couple granola bars in there, and the large 40-ounce water bottle she's taken to carrying recently. She knew she would be hiking tonight, and hopes whatever she finds will be worth the effort. It should also go without saying that Lyra would never leave the house without her trusty bat. It's safely tucked away in her gear bag, the only backpack-like bag she owns. She's had it for years, and hasn't had any reason to get it out until recently. Now, she hikes all the time and uses her bat to kick some ass, so it only makes sense to use this specific bag. She walks for a while, following the path, hoping that strange gut feeling she got in Melody's shop will guide her towards whatever it is she's supposed to be finding. Of course, the only guidance she receives is a gentle push every so often. Almost like a nudge, telling her to turn left or right. Eventually, she finds herself wandering off the path, heading deeper into the undraversed woods. When she feels herself slowing down, she stops for a quick water break. This area she's in is slightly familiar, though she really can't remember much from the night she found the clearing. At least, nothing much from her mad dash through the woods. She does remember being surprised and confused when she found herself stumbling out of the tree line and into the back lot of Lost Fiction. She knows for a fact that she was on the opposite side of town when she found the clearing. There is no way she ran fast enough or long enough to completely circle around the entire town, let alone the fact that she would have had to cross the main road at some point, in the direction she was running. She wonders if maybe she should have tried starting near the river, but quickly squashed that idea. The river and lake are off-limits for right now, until the team recuperates enough to come up with a new plan of attack. And, well, those areas are the only ones the Merc and the Beast were spotted in. They haven't seen the Merc on this side of town yet, save for the time they were chased over here that first night. So, even though she found the entry point on that side of town, she's trying to minimize the amount of risk to herself, as much as possible. No one knows she's out here tonight. If any of them found out, they'd probably drag her back to her apartment and lock her bedroom door. She really can't fault them for their worry. She almost died the other night. She slept for a good 12 hours or so after Dorothy managed to get her back home. Colin sat by her side the entire time, working his healing magic into her and closing the wounds she received from the beast. When she woke up, she found an exhausted Colin and an absolutely terrified group of friends standing around, waiting anxiously to learn whether she would be okay. Rufus was even there, against the wishes of literally everyone else. Hi, she said when Colin realized she was awake. You guys are all such mother hens. They descended on her then, all wrapping her up in hugs that made her feel safe and secure. Wanted. Loved. Tilly lingered the longest, going so far as to clean the chair at her bedside and not leaving said chair save to grab Lyra food and drinks and attend to the occasional sheriff business. Colin replaced Tilly whenever she had to leave for more than a few minutes at a time, both keeping watch and acting as guards for when she tried to get out of bed for anything more than bathroom runs. Tonight was the first time they let her out to patrol in the last few days, though she isn't really complaining about that either. It was nice to take a break, nice to have people that care about her fussing over her incessantly. She knows, if she explained to her friends what she was doing tonight, they would have volunteered to help her in a heartbeat. It's just that she can't tell them. 
Ever since that night, when she found the clearing, she has tried about a thousand different times and a thousand different ways to tell them about it. But every time she opens her mouth, something else comes out. For whatever reason, whether it be that glowing ethereal being she keeps seeing, or the imps, or the magic surrounding Mountain Hill, she can't tell them about the clearing. Like she's the only one who's supposed to know about it. She doesn't understand it, but who is she to question the whims of fate or whatever? She continues hiking after her short rest, following her guiding instinct until she stumbles upon an area of the dread. She stops walking, taking a moment to catch her breath and look around. She is in totally unfamiliar territory now, without even the distant night lights of Mountain Hill to guide her back if she gets too turned around. At the very beginning, when Colin first moved to town and they began working together, they decided to go and explore the woods and familiarize themselves with the layout. Without any landmarks to be guided by, it's very easy to get lost in the dense greenery, and they wanted to make sure they could always find their way back to town no matter what. It's been incredibly helpful in the past months, and part of why whenever they split up, she always makes sure one of them is with Rufus and Dorothy. Rufus may have spent a big part of his childhood here, but he still lived outside of Mountain Hill longer than he lived in it. And Dorothy is as foreign to the area as Lyra and Colin first were. It's a miracle she managed to get Lyra safely back to town the other night, without getting turned around in the process. Part of their exploration was also to get themselves familiar with where areas of the Dread were located, and get at least a small sense of how large the area was. Lyra knows with absolute certainty, this area was not here before. At least, not that she saw. But she has learned that the magic in these woods doesn't always want you to see everything, and that, in fact, it quite preferred to keep certain things secret until the time was right for them to be discovered. It was the only reason Lyra could think of that after hundreds of years of no tourist activity, there was suddenly an abundance of folks coming to the town, hiking the trails, purchasing hats and t-shirts with Mountain Hill scrawled across them. Lyra owns one such hat, and is actually wearing it right now. It's why four different people moved to the town in a matter of months. The magic has decided it's time the world learns the town exists. Whatever reason the magic has for concealing the town all this time, and now revealing its existence, Lyra isn't entirely sure. Just as she's not entirely sure why this specific area of the dread was hidden from her until now. It makes her nervous, to say the least. She decides to walk alongside the wildflowers, to determine how wide the area is and try to find a way around it. She has a horrible feeling that the instinct that guided her all the way out here wants her to pass through the dread, but until she knows that with absolute certainty, she's going to play it safe. She came out here to find the clearing, not wander aimlessly into the dread alone and unprotected. She reaches into her pocket and grins when she finds what she's looking for. A quarter from the cash she has to carry now that she lives in a town with no internet access at all, and plucks it out. Heads, I go left, she says, positioning the coin to flip it. Tails. She flips the coin, catching it in one hand and slapping it onto the back of the other. Left it is, she says, tucking the coin back into her pocket. She takes another quick drink of her water before pulling her bag back on and heading left. She walks for at least five minutes before the wildflowers take a sudden, sharp turn right, heading north as far as Lyra can see where she's standing now. The gut instinct she's been following hasn't faltered once, and for a brief moment she's ecstatic that despite the sudden appearance of the dread, she won't have to enter it. That is, until the howls begin. Lyra pauses, holding her breath in order to listen for the direction of the howls. 
They don't exactly sound creature-like, but they don't exactly sound animal-like either. She determines that they are a few miles away, and decides not to worry about it unless they grow closer. Releasing her breath, she continues on, following along the edge of the dread until she reaches the very end, when it takes another sharp turn right and continues east, back towards town. When her gut instinct continues urging her forward, she can't really believe her luck. She's about half a mile away when she realizes it wasn't luck at all. They're silent, hiding in plain sight, and when she finds herself in a small clearing in the trees surrounded by them, she realizes she was, in fact, being led here. Her instincts flare, tugging her backwards in the direction she came, urging her to run as the six merc in the clearing all turn their attention on her. They seem almost surprised to see her, like they truly weren't expecting one of the four they've been sent to hunt to stumble into their laps. It doesn't take long for them to leap into action, though. Their shock fades and morphs into excitement at their absolute luck. Lyra frowns as they begin stumbling forward, recognizing one of them to be one she smashed in the head. That one looks especially menacing, with one side of its head dented in. You know, Lyra says, taking a step back with her hands raised. I'm gonna go. Didn't mean to crash your party or whatever. You don't need to, uh... One of them leaps for her, just falling short as she spins on her heel and begins sprinting back through the woods as fast as her feet can carry her. No need for that, she calls over her shoulder, as she jumps over the fallen branches and tree roots. She hears the murk crashing through the woods behind her, not nearly as savvy at avoiding the obstacles in their path. But even so, they are determined, scooping themselves back up off the ground when they fall, throwing themselves back into the chase. Lyra wants to kick her gut instinct in the ass. Why in the entire world would it lead her here? She thought maybe she had some survival instinct, but apparently not. You just love getting yourself into these situations, she thinks to herself, as she takes a hard right when she reaches the dread once again. Her plan is to circle around it, hoping she'll lose the merc somewhere along the way. She doesn't have a lot of other options. She's seen what they can do when she literally smashes them to bits, and knows not even Colin's magic made a dent in their defenses. She hopes she'll be able to find something in town that can make a lot of noise and send them back to whatever horrible place they crawled out of, but that's only if she makes it back to town. She's almost reached the other end of the dread when something slams into her from the side, knocking her off her feet and sending her sprawling over the yellow wildflowers. The air gets knocked from her lungs, and as the force of whatever ran into her lands on top of her, she feels something snap and knows she's just broken a bone. When she struggles to get her breath back, even after the thing scrambles off of her, she knows it had to have been a rib. Still, she pushes to her feet, determined not to die tonight when none of her friends even know she's out here in the first place. She won't do that to them, and even if that's the only thing driving her forward at this point, at least it's something. It only takes her a moment to get her bearings, but it's long enough for the thing that hit her to run at her again. She hardly has enough time to pull her bat from her bag before it crashes into her. Whatever it is, it stinks, smelling of rot and garbage just as the merc do. Only, where the merc are vaguely humanoid in shape, this thing that is attacking her is much more animal-like, reminding her of a wolf as it snaps its teeth over the metal of her bat. The bat is the only thing keeping the creature's jaws from clamping down around her throat, and as she struggles to hold it up, she manages to swing her leg up, catching the creature off guard and knocking it off of her. She's on her feet in an instant, adrenaline fueling her as she holds the bat up, ready to strike. 
only the creature that attacked her isn't there any longer. She glances around, not trusting the thing's disappearance in the slightest, and sees that somehow it knocked her so deep into the dread that she can no longer see the line of yellow wildflowers. What the fuck? She breathes as she presses a hand to her tender side. Her breaths are coming a little steadier now, but the pain in her side tells her she's definitely broken something. She'll have to get to Colin as soon as she gets out of this mess, and she laughs a little hysterically as she pictures herself stumbling into their apartment covered in mud and her own blood and trying to explain that to him. She'd known it was a risk of her coming out today, knew it was highly likely that she would get injured like this somehow and that she would have to explain the truth to her friends. She's hoping that, when she does manage to find her way back, the magic will allow her to tell them the truth behind her actions tonight. She's also hoping they won't be too pissed about her sneaking out. Lyra's heart is just finally starting to slow in her chest when she hears the moaning. She whirls to find the merc stumbling towards her, their horrible yellow eyes glowing in the darkness of the dread. It takes her only a moment to understand what's going on. They are hurting her deeper into the dread. To what end, she isn't entirely sure, but she can't think about that now. Her only options are to charge at them and hope she makes it through unscathed, or take a shortcut and run straight through the dread. They aren't great options, but they're certainly better than standing still. When one of the mercs smiles at her, revealing rows of sharp little teeth, her decision is made for her. Through the dread it is, she says, spinning on her heel and taking off at a sprint. Somehow, she still has her backpack and hat on, and she thinks whatever forces out there are listening for small mercies. She really likes both the hat and the backpack, and though they should be the least of her concerns right now, thinking about how happy she is that she still has them is helping distract from the horrible pain in her side. The mark are running behind her, the magic of the dread making them faster than usual. Their moans grow louder as they draw nearer, and Lyra feels her exhaustion weighing heavily on her. She didn't really get a good feel for how large this particular section of the dread is, but the length she walked alongside it said it was probably a couple square miles at least. She isn't really sure if she's going to make it, and wow, does that suck. She finds herself thinking of all her regrets, of how she has yet to tell Jennifer off, how she has yet to tell her parents how their behavior isn't okay, how she has yet to tell Tilly. Yeah. That's probably her biggest regret. She feels the weight of a creature slam into her before she ever realizes they're close enough to do so, and she's sprawled on the ground with a heavy weight on her back in the blink of an eye. The breath is knocked from her again, and she knows her left forearm is broken as pain lances all the way up her arm and into her shoulder. She still clutches her softball bat in her right hand, and she is not going to go down without a fight, damn it. Even if the murk on her back is tearing through her bag, ripping through fabric and stuffing to get to her back. Suddenly, the thing shrieks, loud and horrible, and leaps up off her as if it has been burned. Lyra wonders deliriously if something in her bag is made of iron, but knows there's nothing in there that can hurt the creatures. But... Wait. She rolls onto her back as something flashes, bright and white in the air above her head illuminating the dread with a light that is near-blinding. She winces at the sudden brightness and frowns as she finds the source of light. Is that... she hears herself saying, as her eyes trace the strange shape of the hilt she purchased in Melody's shop just a few short days ago. It's hovering in the air above her, glowing from the stone embedded at the end of the hilt, as bright as the sun in the darkness of the dread. 
She sees the Merc then, cowering at the edge of the clearing she's in, hiding behind trees and shielding their eyes from the sudden light. She sees areas of their skin begin blistering and bubbling, and though the sight is pretty grotesque, she can't help the feeling of satisfaction she feels that she's found something these things are afraid of. Well then, she says, pushing carefully to her feet and cradling her broken arm against her stomach. Her gaze lands on something else in the clearing then, and she feels the frown return to her face as she takes a slow step towards it. The hilt is hovering in the air, seemingly in the dead center of the clearing, right above a long, rusted piece of metal. Lyra takes a step towards it, then another, moving as if on autopilot as she approaches the items before her. The rusted metal is glowing faintly, and at first glance, Lyra thinks the light is reflecting on the dull blade somehow, but as she gets closer, she realizes that it has symbols etched onto it, glowing through the thick rust. Her eyes widen as she realizes what she's seeing, and as she reaches the glowing items in the center of the clearing, her hand reaches out on its own, her fingers curling around the handle of the hilt. She pushes down, knowing on some deep, molecular level that this is what she was sent here to find tonight. This is the reason she's been restless, why she hasn't been able to stop thinking about this area of the woods. As the metal of the hilt connects with the metal sticking out of the ground, there's a blast of energy, and she hears when the Merc are struck by it being tossed backwards and landing somewhere far, far away. The blast of magic zips up into her, and she feels the bones of her arm and her rib mend as the magic courses through her veins. Her hat is blown off, her hair pulled from its ponytail and blasting in long tendrils around her, floating around her head. She swears it glows white for a moment before the bright light vanishes, just as suddenly as it appeared. Her hair falls around her shoulders, and she stoops for a moment to scoop her hat off the ground, placing it back on her head before she grips the sword tight in her hand and yanks it from the ground. It pulls free, with hardly any give, as if it has been waiting forever and a day for her to do exactly this, and free it from its confines. She lifts the sword up, wrapping her other hand around its hilt, holding the blade in front of her face as she looks at the runes carved into it watching as the rust flakes off and reveals a magnificent, otherworldly sword. She doesn't know how she understands them, but her brain rearranges the runes into English, translating them as she reads, Cataclyst, Breaker of Storms, Destroyer of Kings, Slayer of Fairy Kin. A branch snaps on her left, and it's her only warning before one of the Merc leaps at her, hissing and spitting as it bears its claws and fangs. It's a matter of a step back, a slash down, and the blade connects with the thing's neck and severs its head from its body. The head rolls, the body lands a few feet away, and Lyra watches in amazement as the body begins to flake away, blowing on an invisible wind back to wherever the thing came from. Holy shit, she breathes as she stares down at the sword in her hands. It glints even in the darkness around her and she can't help the smile that spreads across her face as she meets the eyes of the other mercs, all of whom are circling her, watching as their brother falls. Lyra moves on instinct alone, hacking and slashing and fighting her way through the merc as they rush at her. She is reminded of watching dancers, of how they always seem to move with such fluid grace, as if they're water bending around the world over rocks and sand and moss and fish. She's moving much like she is in a dance, stepping lightly and landing exactly where she needs to, keeping her footing even as Cataclyst requires two hands to wield. In a matter of moments, she has beheaded the rest of the mercs, 
watching as their five bodies flake away into the non-existent breeze. Well, damn, Lyra says, throwing the sword over her shoulder as she watches. I certainly wasn't expecting that. She's only allowed a moment to catch her breath, to find her bearings once more as she tries to figure out which direction she came from and which direction she needs to run towards. Then, a large, lumbering creature appears across the clearing from her, and Lyra knows instinctively that this is the thing that knocked her into the dread in the first place. She smirks as its eyes, glowing and yellow and intelligent like the marks, catch on the blade tossed carelessly over her shoulder. It snarls at her, reminding her now more of a jungle cat than a wolf, before it pounces, leaping from across the clearing and reaching her in a single bound. But she's ready for it, and as the creature lands, she swings the sword, catching it in the back as it lands, sending the creature crashing to the forest floor. It hisses at her as it springs back onto its feet, spinning to face her and leaping at her again. Lyra sprints at the creature, sliding beneath it and thrusting the sword up and into its belly as it soars over her. It lands in a heap on the ground behind her, and Lyra turns just in time to watch its body flake away. She grins, feeling a sense of hope surge through her at the realization that this weapon can kill the merc. She collects her bag, what's left of it, and the meager contents of it that the merc managed to scatter about, and pulls it up onto her shoulder holding it together as best she can as she walks in the approximate direction of town. Colin wakes from a dead sleep to the sound of Lyra crashing through the front door. He's up and awake instantly, eyes wide as she enters, caked in mud and blood and carrying... Is that a fucking sword? He asks, wiping sleep from his eyes and pushing himself up from the couch. Lyra sets the sword on their kitchen table, along with the tattered remains of her backpack and an extremely dented softball bat. She smiles at him over her shoulder and says, Um, maybe? Where the fuck did you get a sword? He asks, moving into the dining room and staring down at the thing. It's long, at least three feet long, made of iron and gold. He frowns as he notices the strange characters etched onto the blade and says, Seriously, where did you find this? Lyra winces, and launches into an explanation of her night. She does not, cannot, tell him about the clearing, so she tells him what she can. When she's finished, Colin heads over to his bag and pulls out the small coin he found on the beach last week. He shows it to her, and as they compare the characters etched into it and those etched into the sword, they realize they're incredibly similar. Can you read what it says? Colin asks. She shakes her head. I don't even know how I could read the engravings on the sword. He frowns. What now, Lyra? She sighs, picking up the sword and inspecting it. Now we fight, and we put a stop to the beast and whoever is controlling him. You say that like it's simple, Colin says. Lyra grins, feeling the full weight of her hope crash into her all at once. She rests, cataclyst against her shoulder, and says, Well, why don't we make it that simple? Let's take the fight to them. Thank you.